This is a CBC Podcast. For every 10 calls to the government's social assistance lines in Saskatchewan, six of them go unanswered. That's what the provincial auditor, Tara Clement, reported this week. We had our own individual staff apply on the phone three times, and we never in any instance was able to connect with a ministry client representative for help. And we only received the call ballot function in one of those three instances. So it wasn't available to us in all instances. And we waited on the phone at least sort of 10 to 15 minutes and never got through. They are striving to answer their calls within 20 minutes is what they indicate. So that's a long time for certain individuals to have to wait on the phone, especially some of these clients would be utilizing pay-as-you-go type phones. So obviously eating up minutes in the event that they're having to wait. And what we also found there was that the ministry has indicated that usually only about 50% of the time will they be answering the phone within 20 minutes. It's often longer than that, which again, can be very frustrating when you're just looking to get some help for your basic needs. The provincial auditor says the government must do better. Adam Hunter covered the provincial auditor's concerns this week and wrote a story for cbc.ca slash sask. Murray Mandrick writes a political column in the Regina Leader Post and did about this subject today. And they both join us every week on our political panel and do again this morning. Hi, guys. Hey, hello. Good morning. Adam, what did the auditor find about calls to social assistance? Yeah, this is a huge volume of calls. So 225,000 calls and 64%-ish are not being answered. You heard from the auditor there say, you know, the examples they gave when they when they tried to phone. Another thing that stood out to me was uh, in one of the visits, uh, unscheduled visits to an office, where uh, one, someone from the auditor's office went and, and said they wanted to sign up for income support. Uh, they were told to uh, by by a person in in the office to pick up the phone and call the service center. And as we've just sort of laid out, well, that's not ideal. the The wait is long. Uh, sometimes you're not getting answered. And then when it comes to once you finally do connect with somebody and get onto income support, uh, Clement said it took between forty and two hundred and twenty days for for that person to get set up with. Uh, a worker to go through things like housing supports or addictions counseling. She says that's not ideal either. So uh, a few other things that were pointed out, there were uh, a lot of unpaid bills with SAS Power and SAS Energy totaling about $4.2 million up to February of this year. And there were 228 uh, evictions of people on income assistance. Uh, That number... Tara Clement says is a lot higher than the number the government had. So she says it's not only the government have to improve access to how people get on income support, whether it's uh, making it easier for people to get that, opening up more phone lines, or just you know making it, just bringing that, that application process to certain people because online isn't an issue. They also need to track uh, why people are being evicted, why bills are going unpaid, so they can get to some of the root causes of these issues. Adam, um, Murray, what does the government say in response to this? I'm surprised you're getting at it. I mixed up. We're about the same age. But, um, yes, uh, the government's response is that uh, they're working on it, and that's not an acceptable response. 
uh, if that was the response of basically any other area of government staff, the government wouldn't tolerate it. They would have uh, they would assign their deputy minister and associate deputy ministers to look at it and find a system that works better. That's not going to happen in economic development. It's not going to happen in trade and investment. It's sure not going to happen in agriculture or a few other areas where the government, as a conservative government, is very strong. As a conservative government, I do not think that they get social services and the difficulties. We had a minister, uh, the previous minister before, uh, uh, Mr. Mikowski, saying, well, just call my office. Gee, that seems like a very difficult thing to do, Madam Minister, because your calls aren't getting returned from the department, let alone the office. And I think this is where this government is falling down. They fall down because it's not a big issue with most people. It, it, it's the, the the auditor raises it, but it's not a vote determinant. Uh, they're going to focus on, on, on issues of economic development. And while they should, uh, because you can't really do anything in government unless you have the money to pay for it. But this is where it's all about governance. And we're not seeing that from this government in certain files right now. We're not seeing it in social services as we're not seeing it in environment and education. Speaking of which, we learned the graduation rates are very different for Indigenous students in this province, Adam. Still, what's the latest? Yeah, you'll both remember covering this. You know, back in 2015, Brad Wall said that you know this was going to be a, a priority for his government improving Indigenous graduation rates. And what the auditor found is, in about six six or seven years' time since then, the graduation rates have increased by about three percent, going from 40 percent to 44, about 44 percent. Now, this so there's the stunning part of this is that non-Indigenous students in provincial schools, their graduation rates almost 90 percent, so it's double. And uh, that's something the auditor says the government really needs to take a hard look at. The ministry needs to take a hard look at, figure out why they haven't made progress on this, uh, you know, try and improve this in any way they can. And this is uh, not counting on-reserve schools, so it, we don't know how those numbers are affected if, if we included on-reserve schools. Uh, the other uh, thing that ties into this a little bit is SAS Poly was also looked at by the auditor, and they found that uh, enrollment over a two-year period dropped by 30% pretty significantly in that uh, the auditor suggested that the, the SAS Poly needs to look into this and figure out why and also connect with Indigenous communities to try and uh, promote the program uh, more. Uh, the president of the SAS Poly you know, accepted the recommendations but also wanted to point out that uh, when there are Indigenous students at SAS Poly that their success rate is about 94% but did say that you know the government the, the the institution would be looking into you know why the uh, the enrollment rates drop so significantly over a short period of time. Murray why does this continue to be such a problem? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know staff and I'm embarrassed to say because I've been covering this for 40 years and I cannot come up with good answers. I have not seen good answers because it keeps getting uh, repeated. And I guess I'm even more embarrassed for the fact that we as a society or a province can't come up with something better than saying that well, it looks like a problem and looks like it's a problem in this area and let's do another statistical uh, analysis. Yeah, we know it's a problem. We know we're about the same graduation retention rate nationally here as any place else. So we kind of hide behind the, the, the notion that, oh, well, we're really not any worse off. But in some ways we are because we are a smaller province and we do have a higher percentage of Aboriginal people. We need to have a better understanding of why we're ghettoizing these people into certain professions. We talk about polytech. We talk about social uh, work jobs. Uh, 
oddly enough, we can't find people to return calls at social services, yet we seem to have a graduate retention problem. We can't get enough people to uh, uh, into that stream where you're dealing with a significant portion of Aboriginal people. There is opportunities out there. We cannot seem to link the two, and we have to do a better job of that. And I realize how bad that answer is, but uh, I don't know right now why we can't get a better one. We certainly need to. It shouldn't be a deterrent to try. Yeah, I mean, I know a little girl who doesn't go to school anymore who should, and there's a direct link between addiction, the social assistance program, and truancy. You know, all those social problems uh, go together when it comes to kids being able to go to school. And when it comes to classrooms in general, Adam, we keep hearing that they are seriously underfunded. What's the latest? Yeah, this is, uh, you know, uh, something that came out yesterday. The uh, Saskatchewan Teachers Federation held a, a news conference and they they get a re, re-up their uh, call for more funding. Uh, this comes after the government uh, promised $40 million to school divisions, you know, two $20 million chunks, one for composition of classrooms and one for enrollment increases. The president of the STF saying yesterday that there was some favoritism at play, although didn't really give us, you know, uh, evidence as to why the government was maybe choosing, uh, you know, one school division over the other. She, she did say that when it came to urban uh, schools that they did see more enrollment. So that made sense for them to get the lion's share of that money. When it came to composition, she says the issues are uh, that, is- that exist in rural Saskatchewan, exist in urban Saskatchewan, and that that money should have been uh, maybe divvied out a little bit differently. Uh, one of the things that the STF has said and the Saskatchewan School Boards Association has said that's pretty consistent, though, is that the government is is playing favorites when it's uh, funding its new uh, distance learning center, uh, cost of more than $50 million uh, to start up this year and operate. They're saying that that money should have been used and spread over the school divisions. The government's saying that that'll actually uh, save school divisions in the long run, but we, we won't see that or find that out until probably a few years down the line once it gets really operating and going. Yeah, Murray, what do you make of all this? I, I, I don't like the STF response. I I, I think it's, it, it, it's to say that there is favoritism in terms of of urban Saskatchewan over rural Saskatchewan from the SAS party government obviously makes no sense because obviously their political base is in rural Saskatchewan. They have the greatest representation there and they're going to be getting pressure from their rural MLAs to address issues. I think though, I don't want to be terribly critical of the STF because I think it speaks to the overall funding problem. Of course, they're going to address the urban situation first because if you look at uh, uh, enrollment increase numbers, it's happening in Regina, it's happening in Saskatoon, and if you have to have emergency funding, that's where it goes. Now, that does not mean there's not problems in in, uh, rural schools with overcrowding in classroom, particularly as it relates to teachers having to cover maybe one or two or sometimes three classrooms or or who knows in in, in these smaller situations in smaller schools. I think there's a lot of pressure on STF to represent their uh, rural teachers along with their urbans, and that might be driving it. But I think what they're talking about here, Steph, is more of that overall problem in funding that isn't being addressed by the emergency numbers. The problem that goes back to the 2017 budget cuts that the government still is scrambling to make up for. Uh, I think it's probably good the STF is uh, raising this as a a predominant rural issue because that's sure one way to get the government's attention. (laughs) Thanks, you guys. You're very welcome. welcome. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.